And if you please would be opening to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, verse 11. We are beginning a, a series that's really an, a, an appendix, an addendum, addition to the series that we went through with Nehemiah, where we were looking to build healthy spirituality. And particularly from this passage, I was reminded this week uh, of chapter 6, verse 1, about the expectation for Christians to go on to maturity. And so that's what we will uh, be taking the next several weeks, maybe a couple months uh, leading up to Easter, where we're just going to look at what, what are the expectations that God has upon us for the maturity that he's looking to uh, to bring out, really, this is what happens. We have the life of Christ in us. When we trust Christ for salvation, the Spirit of God is deposited in us. We have Jesus in us. And now our obedience to him, our becoming holy, is really taking the Jesus that's in there and letting him out. And taking what we have, and next week we're going to look at, we have been given all things for life and godliness. So we're to mature in those things. But what we saw last week in Nehemiah 13 is that even the, we, with the greatest expectations and the greatest pledges and everybody's together, we find that we still get distracted. We still, we still uh, give attention and time to other things rather than the main thing. When we remember Mary and Martha, Martha was all distracted with all the servings and the bit. I appreciate Chris uh, describing that for his own life. We know that. We know the distraction and we know, God, can't you just help me? And can't you just get her to help me instead of just sitting there like a bum? No, Martha, Mary has chosen what? Better part to sit and listen and learn. So that's what we will look to do, and we're just going to look through some, some virtues. What are some virtues that God has for us to mature in? But today, uh, really looking inward in our own hearts, where are we in our Christian life? Where are we in our growth process? And how as a church do we want to be able to help inspire and, and help one another grow into the maturity of Christ? So let's look at the, the scriptures, Hebrews 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance for dead works or of faith toward God, and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
Lord, help us. Help us recognize where we are dull and sharpen us in, in the power of discernment to see you and to obey you. We yield to you. We love you. We surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when my children were young, uh, around 3.30 or 4 o'clock, the noise level in the house elevated. And I remember one time my brother came by for a visit. And it was so, I mean, Kathy began the cooking process at that time. And just everybody is around and noise was happening. And my brother just paused at one point and he looked at me and he said, is it always like this? <laughs> yeah, around this time of day. But what, what, we, what we got used to was the noise level. I knew a, a family back years ago when I was a youth pastor across the lake at Lakeview Christian Center, a family of three boys. Uh, they lived near a railroad track intersection with a road. And we'd be over at their house or something, and they're laying, the, the engineer of the train's laying on the whistle, going, it's like, what? Things are shaking. What's going on? When I asked the boys, I'm like, does that keep you all up? They're like, actually, we don't hear it anymore. They would sleep through it. They won't even recognize it anymore. And that's the weird thing that happens. When we get used to particular noises, we can actually block that out. Now, spiritually speaking, in this dull of hearing, this happens to us spiritually. We can hear the same things and do the same things in the Christian life, and they lose their edge. It becomes dull doesn't have the same impact. We can sleep through the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Nehemiah 13, we saw that. It's possibility of getting used to the good news. And we don't hear it anymore with the, with the ears of our heart. Remember when Jesus explained the parables, especially when he gave the parable of the sower. Sower goes out to sow seed and some fell on the the rocky paths or the hard ground, some rocky, and then the weeds and the good soil. Even his disciples are saying, what are you talking about? And Jesus began to explain why he, speaks in, he spoke to them in parables. And he said this, let him who has ears to hear, hear. All right, Jesus, what, what on earth does that mean too? Because Jesus is he's pointing to something spiritually. There's a spiritual capacity of hearing. And God, this, this sometimes confuses us because we think that God's uh, keeping things from us. God wants us to dig in. And he wants us to think deeply about things. He wants, he wants us to keep coming to him. Remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had, uh, I forget if she was demon-possessed or an illness, I think it was illness. She comes, this woman comes to Jesus and says, please, can you come heal my daughter? And what does he tell her? It is wrong to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus, you just call this woman a dog? Well, what he was doing in that moment, and Jesus knows the personality. Here, this woman is coming. She's interrupting things, and she's showing up. And Jesus essentially tells her, keep coming. Why does God do Because that... 
Boy, that frustrates you sometimes. Like, God, can't you just give me the answer and we can, we can stop this struggle thing? That would be good for both of us, Lord. Because I wouldn't be angry with you and <laughs> I would know what to do. But God, in his, in his relationship with us, he does things and he says things in particular ways that keep us coming. When, but when that gets hard, we get dull. And we kind of get, we, we peter out and we don't want to do it anymore. When Jesus admonishes his listeners to hear, he was bringing an expectation upon them. There's an expectation of those who are believers and live the Christian life. And, and this passage here teaches that there, there's an expectation on all of Christian life. And that expectation is this. We are to grow. We're to mature and keep maturing. Progress is expected. Jesus expected it. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Here's, he's giving all of these details on the Christian life and what's expected of the Christian life. Paul gave the expectations in all of his letters, but he grounds it in faith. In Romans chapter 1, remember he says, the gospel is revealed from faith for faith. I think he's demonstrating a, there's a progression of faith. We, we go from faith to faith. There's a particular understanding that we have of God, and God uniquely says, all right, you trust me this much? Now you're going to trust me even more. And then he uses the furnace of affliction oftentimes to do that. And that confuses us. But this writer in Hebrews, he says, he exhorts believers onward in the expectation that God has over us. Our problem is that our hearing becomes dull. Jesus may be speaking power. He may be speaking life. He may be speaking healing to us. But we're paying attention to something else. But as we seek, and even uh, going from our, our series in, he, in Nehemiah to now going on to maturity, as we seek to continue to build healthy spirituality in God's place as his people, experiencing his presence, we need to respond to the exhortation that the Holy Spirit is bringing to keep maturing into the life of Jesus. So we ask the questions, how are we doing? in our growth for the Lord? Is there progress happening in our lives? Or is, are we more in tune with confusion or frustration in our Christian life? Stagnation. We just don't feel like anything's happening. We see in this, these short verses that there's an expectation for growth. And there's, a, there's an expectation to pass on the faith. The expectation for the Christian is take what Jesus is, and what he has given us, and then give it to others. We see this principle in the feeding of the multitudes. And we read it in the Great Commission. He says with the five loaves and two fish, he, he, then he take the, give it to the people. And then in the, the Great Commission, what? Go and make disciples. Go multiply. This is to happen first within families, and then in the church. And it's God's plan to use that to spread the gospel over the world. And he's been doing a really good job of it for thousands of years now. The writer of this letter to the Hebrews addressed those who have been stagnant. And there's a stagnation in their faith. There wasn't evidence of progress because they're still trying to get over their sinful habits. They, they were stuck in this pattern of, man, I want to do the right thing, but I keep on doing the bad thing. Jesus, all right, you have forgiveness. You've forgiven me. I've got to just keep on going. That's, that's important. 
And that is right. But there's more to experience with the Lord. There were others who just didn't care enough for others to help them along in their faith. And there were still others who were distracted by the other things, even good things, like death, resurrection, eternal judgment, Jesus returned. And all these factors that we see, they weren't moving onward and maturing into Jesus. So is there maturity happening in your life? Are you different spiritually from a year ago? Are you different spiritually than 10 years ago? Or if you've been in Christ this long, 20 years ago. Now, what we typically do is we will have the same things happening in our lives. So maybe you still have, maybe you're still devoted to the reading of scripture and prayer and you're still devoted to showing up at church and and fellowshipping. Those are actions, but they don't guarantee maturity. See, the sign of maturity and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, are you still stuck on milk or is there solid food? Are you giving it away? Think about the analogy of nursing for a moment. A mother eats the solid food and she gives the baby the milk. Same nutrients are passing through. There is an expectation that as we mature in Christ, we are able to digest solid food and give it away to those who are they're new in Christ, they're young in Christ, or they're just ignorant of the things of Christ. And then what's the expectation? Growth. That baby doesn't keep... When you don't see... It's weird if you see a 10-year-old nursing, right? That's odd. And spiritually, it should be odd as well. Are, are we still drinking the milk and we haven't developed the appetite for deeper things, for the glory of God to show up in us? With, within the, this little section, last section of chapter 5, I think we see the expectation of knowledge and the expectation of experience. In the expectation of knowledge, he says, for at this time you ought to be teachers, but somebody actually needs to come and reteach you the, uh, the, the, the basics of the principles of the oracles of God. There's an, there's an expectation of knowing God uh, more and more and knowing more about God in ways that turn into be able to explaining them to others. It doesn't mean that everybody in the church becomes a pastor. It doesn't mean that. It means that we grapple with the, the, the character of God and the nuances of the gospel we grapple with those in ways that we're able to explain them to others. The best way, I, I love when theologians write children's books. R.C. Sproul did this. R.C. Sproul, one of my theological heroes in, in the writings that, he, uh, that he, he, the books that he wrote, I mean, it was just great. But he also wrote several children's books that are beautifully written to express the glory of God. So like, parents who read, and uh, what's the uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones book, uh, but for kids, the Bible. Say it again louder. This Jesus Storybook Bible. Fabulous! If you want to know anything, like, just read that for yourself, and you'll see Jesus all over the Bible. It's great. If you don't quite know, read it to your kids, your grandkids. You will grow more in hearing somebody else and reading it out loud 
It's beautiful. It's beautiful how that happens. So it means this, because a lot of times people will disqualify themselves from explaining the, the truths of the gospel to others because they're not a pastor. Well, I'm not a minister, I'm not a minister, a minister or I don't lead a ministry, so I can't do that. That's for the experts. No, 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 no. The expectation is everybody should be able to do this in different capacities, to be able to teach and train others to embrace it themselves. So there's an expectation of knowledge, but this requires stretching our minds, stretching our minds theologically. When, when we start to think, here's a word for you, when we start to think about the incommunicable attributes of God, <laughs> the things that we can't explain about God, that he's completely eternal, never had a beginning, never has an end, Grapple with those. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere at the same time with all the same energy and focus, not distracted by anything. He's everywhere. It's, it's, it's not becoming experts in describing that. It's grappling with them and stretching our minds a little bit. This looks like consistently reading the scriptures and asking big questions of the scriptures. This looks like hearing the preached word and investigating the nuances the preacher felt led to draw out in this, by the Spirit's prompting. So this is what I would... I, mean, I did this when I was a teenager. I would always, in early 20s, I would think through how did that preacher come up with that point from that part of the passage? How did that happen? What, where is that? I still do that. I still, I, I will listen to a sermon, I'll read a sermon online, and I will look, how, how did you get that point from what the author of the scripture said? Investigate. Just look, peer into, and just meditate on it. There are basic principles of the word of God that need teaching. We need to own them and pass them on. Because when knowledge is not increasing, the heart grows dull. And we don't sense the prompting of the Spirit anymore. Now, I think with the, uh, the analogy given with milk and solid food is an expectation of experience. The analogy uh, it brings about the experience of the Word itself. Milk is softer on the digestive tract than solid food. And those who still need milk haven't increased their appetites for all that God is. And remember, what we're doing spiritually in this life is we are increasing our appetite to be fully satisfied with God in heaven. So our experience in this life, like buffets aren't popular anymore for good reason, but you remember growing up, there's buffets that you, you had your favorite buffet and you couldn't wait to go there because you knew you wanted a few plates of that. I mean, think about it. We're, we're going to all get a plate we're going to go feast at the wedding of the lamb, and, and it's unlimited, all you can eat. So some people are going to get one plate, some people are going to get three plates. I want to get a thousand plates. I want to increase my appetites where I can just be. So Now, the cool thing about heaven is everybody's happy with their plate. There's no jealousy of like, man, I wish I could eat 18 pancakes like that. No jealousy anymore. Everybody's happy. But look, I want to experience all that God has for us to experience in his presence as we see his face. 
when we are too focused on external performance rather than inward experience, we settle for milk and we're not, we don't have an appetite for solid food. Now, this doesn't mean that every time you get together with believers, you have to talk about these huge, doctrinally thick things. No, it doesn't mean that. But it means we don't shy away from it either. We don't, we don't leave it to the experts. The readers that are being addressed in Hebrews, have they've been on this works treadmill, and they're going nowhere. They're still in place, but they're walking, but there's nothing to show for it. And, and it seems that their only experience in the Christian life is trying to get over sinful habits. And there's a place for that, and we... A lot of times I've been there as new believers. You remember, you just, maybe you just try to stop cursing when you first got saved. It's like, man, I just, I have a filthy mouth. I just need to stop doing this. That's, it, maybe it took years. Maybe there are other habits that you just, I just want to stop doing this. And you're pleading for God to help you. But look, when you find that that's gone, it's because there's more to experience. God is faithful. He answers our prayers. And then he, he just gives us, hey, come, come pursue me some more. There was a childness about the faith of the original leaders that was hampering their experience, leading to being able to get solid food. And look, when, when we have the same experience, we're not growing, it, it again, it dulls our sensitivities to the spirit. But then he says there's a, there's a, a discerning of growth that needs to take place. There's, there's a discernment muscle that's built. Look, for everyone who lives, verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. evil. We, we want discernment in our lives, Right? We want to discern God's will. We want to, to discern God's leading. Discern meaning figure out. We want to figure out, God, what are you doing? And how do I cooperate with you? And Romans 12 verse 2 tells us the same thing. The Apostle Paul said, when, when you renew your mind, there's a discernment that happens that what you're able to distinguish God's will. What is good and acceptable? We want to live like that. We want to walk in discernment. We want to discern God's will. We want to discern what's good. But this writer includes that discernment has powers, that the powers of discernment. So how do you use the, the power of discernment? I think is when you're able to figure out what God's will is, you're able to distinguish good from evil, say, hey, that's good. That's not good. There's blessing that comes from that. We, we do that in our homes with our children. When we say, no, don't do this, do this, it's, why, it's for blessing. It's not just, look, I just need some peace right now. Stop, stop talking. It's too noisy. No, wrong goal. There's a blessing that happens through that obedience, through the discernment. And now we want to bless others. We want to experience that blessing. We want to experience peace and be able to give that away as well. And the constant practice of discernment is about establishing patterns of thinking and obedience that make us strong in our identity in Christ. We want to discern the lies that come trying to convince us that we're not children of God. 
when the truth is right there saying that we are children of God. And this discernment, actually, we can look at the Christian life and see that growth, it happens in stages. And if you've been through our our new members process, you have seen uh, these headings established in the faith. These These are to help us understand where we are in Christ, but it's also to help us understand where others are in their journey with Christ. The first thing would be just the new birth that happens by God's grace. And there's, there's time to, to be established in the faith when there's saving faith that's been demonstrated and now learning how to pursue holiness and put on godliness. And now there's the gospel response that characterizes life. God has saved me. I'm responding to him. Those who are new in Christ need help gaining their footing so they can grow. And then when, when that growth happens, there's now a stability that occurs where there's an engagement with God happening. There's spiritual disciplines taking place, understanding of spiritual submission and transformation. There's gospel understanding. And then there's maturity that is modeled in consistent faith, being examples to others. Spiritual gifting, serving the body, stewardship of time and finances, care that happens. This is gospel life is being modeled. But then the fourth area is where we all should be looking toward. But I find that we don't because we leave it to the experts. It's ministry. It's replication. There's equipping that this should be passed on. A fruitfulness that has faith poured onto and in the lives of others. It's replicating faith and fruit. It's, it's responsibility to oversee others in the body. To take lots of responsibility to say, I, I see you're struggling in a particular area. Let's walk together. This is gospel replication. And this is what passing on the faith is. We want to replicate the image of Jesus over and over and over again. Now, I... It is our hope as we take these stages. It's our hope as a church that we are able to serve you as leadership. We are able to serve you wherever you are on this uh, spectrum of these stages. We, we want to be able to have, uh, and it's our hope, and this is where the gospel intensive comes in. Uh, we, this is what partly where the Pure Heart Weekends will be used. We want to see things happening over uh, multiple times through the year, wherever you, so that wherever you find yourself in these stages, you're able to join into something that's going to help you grow. It doesn't mean grow di- directly to the next stage. It just means to help you, help you transform, help you see the gospel, understand the gospel, surrender to the gospel, and see its power of discernment show up in blessing in your life. So those, those who are new in the faith, you don't know about the gospel. Maybe you've been saved for several years. You just don't know about the gospel. We're doing a gospel intensive to help you, to bless you. There's, there's stability in your life, but there's not much more happening. Maybe there's, maybe there's something uh, spiritually that needs to be identified and healed. That's where a Pure Heart Weekend can be helpful. We want to do these things. So we're looking at, at quarters of the year. How can we provide for the church within the, the quarters of the year, four times a year, to help people who are new and just want to grow in the faith, understanding that? 
stable in the faith, but maybe let's take a doctrine. Let's grapple with that doctrine. What does the Bible say? Who's, who's mature? How do we now equip you to go find others to pour into? See, what we are grappling with mostly is that ministry in the church, we can't rest on what we've done for so long, and that is, here's a meeting, show up to it. You older ones, you're faithful, thank you, because you still live in that model. Here's a meeting, show up to it, you'll be blessed, right? And for the most part, that does happen. But what we also have in our post-COVID, but also just culturally, COVID didn't cause anything, it revealed something. It revealed something about how we use our time and how we think about, our, how how we think about the value of our relationships. And so what we're doing is saying, how do, we, how do we make this not a struggle to be a part of? How do we, how do we get into, uh, as we were talking, Sean Kerr and I were talking a few weeks ago, and Sean used the, the term rhythms. How do, we, how do we encourage you in the rhythm of your life to experience fellowship and to experience the power that God wants without just putting up, uh, really, we don't just want to put up a, a, a list of meetings and think that that is causing growth. We want to make sure that when there's a meeting, it's growth. Does that make sense? So we, we're asking the Lord. We don't want to be dull of hearing God. What are you doing with us as a church? And how, what we think the focus needs to be is just building our relationships with one another. And so over the next several months, we're going to do the once-a-month picnic after church, and we're just going to do a fun outing, and we're just encouraging you to come. But it's not just come to do something, it's strategic. Get to know somebody. Find out who they are. I hope last week, uh, and I love seeing everybody hang out for lunch uh, after church last week, I hope you met somebody new. I hope you were able to, we need help remembering names, don't we? (laughs) You remembered that person's name, and you can see them in another context and say, oh, hi. We want to grow. We want to grow toward one another so we can see Jesus and promote that in one another to exalt his glory. So that's what we're hoping to do. And we ask for your prayers in that, continued prayers in that. But we want to say, God, what are you doing? How do we help people? How do you want to grow us in the faith to where we can give this to others. Doesn't mean everybody has to be a pastor. It means that we have to love the Lord in such ways that we're excited about showing others what we see. And and it, oh, for those for the gospel conversations to happen that that just become a natural part of our lives and say I was just reading the other day in my devotional time this passage and I never saw this before. Because that should be happening. That's, that happens to me all the time. I love it. I expect to be surprised by scriptures in when I'm, when I'm reading. I expect the Spirit to, like, as if it was never there before. It's the first time I'm seeing it. Like, wow, this is fresh and it's wonderful. It's living. And it gets deep inside of me. We want to go for that. So there's a discernment that we're looking to, how, how do we lead us together to be able to have a discernment that causes the blessing and the growth that we have toward one another. But we want to go on to maturity. That's the goal. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, 
what, does this really mean leaving the doctrine of Christ? Chris was up here saying that we need the gospel over and over again. And yes, we do. It doesn't mean leave it as if it doesn't matter anymore. It means use it rightly. It means move from, I just keep going in this sin and I need to be reminded that Jesus died for me. Yeah, there is a place where that's all we're looking to do. And there are those in the body of Christ that need mature believers to come alongside of them and help in their moment of weakness to, to be able to have a call or show up and say, look, I'm weak right now. I want to give in. And the mature believer comes and says, no, let's get together. Let's just walk. Let's just talk. Let's just, even if it's simple distraction of mind, but let's pray together. Let me remind you of the truth because a weak believer doesn't know the truth to latch on to. And we need to help one another uh, highlight the truths and the promises of Scripture. Some have read that moving on from the elementary doctrine of Christ means that you need to go to bigger matters. There are bigger matters that need attending to in our Christian lives. That mindset typically ends up in, in performance. No, oh, uh, uh, Jesus died for me, now it's up to me to do the rest of my Christian life. What does it mean to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ? It means moving farther and deeper into the experience of freedom and healing that we have with Christ. The elementary doctrine is he died for your sins to set you free. Yes, he did. We're always reminded of that. We need to experience the freedom. He died to set me free. I need to get free. So leave that principle, move on to the others. Move on and grow. These original readers were, they seemed to be stuck in an endless cycle of sin and repentance and, and seeking Jesus' deliverance. Absolutely necessary to the Christian life, but we're expected to move onward from that. That is not the characteristic of the Christian life after 20 years. There should be more. Now, it doesn't mean we don't grapple with sin. We do. It doesn't mean that the sin that we did 20 years ago doesn't show up in weird ways. Yes, it will. But we know how to apply the truth and the freedom that we've experienced to that situation. We don't leave Christ. We leave the cycle of dead works. That's what we're leaving. We, we never leave Christ. I thought of uh, Martin Luther when... As he was a monk, uh, he would go into confession in the monastery where he lived. He would go into confession and confess his sins. The priest would give him the penance and absolve his sins. And then he would walk out and have a, a, a lustful thought or, an, or just an angry thought or jealous thought. He steps out of the confessional. He would turn back around and walk into the confessional and confess his sin again. To where the priests got irritated with him so much. Like, get, Martin, get out of here. He was, he was hung up on dead works. How do I get free from these works? I need to get... Until I, I, he read, the righteous shall live by faith. It set him free to not have to re-enter the confessional over and over and over again. Now, this concept of going on to maturity, I love this because these are those nuggets that God puts in the Scripture. It's not up to us because the, the meaning of this phrase, go on to maturity, is actually meaning to be carried into maturity. 
So God is giving us the power to do what he calls us to do. And is it all over the place? He gives us the power to obey him. He gives us the power to fulfill the expectation that he puts on us. He never, ever says, you just get yourself right and just start doing this. He never says that to us. He says, it's time to do this. Oh, and I'll do it for you. Just trust me. Just trust me. The wonderful news about this concept of maturity is that it's not up to us to attain it in and of ourselves. The concept involves being carried along in cooperation with God. As if the reality is somebody else is causing that growth. And there's a constant reminder to us that our growth is, it's a result of faith. It's never a result of works. It's never a result of our uh, effort in terms of, yeah, we want to think to, to, to effort to grow in faith, but it's God that we're working with. It's not a, I have to get and attain to this position in and of myself. But here are the promises. Jesus causes the growth. He's the one that causes the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul used in, in chap, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he used, hey, uh, you're still on milk, you should be on solid food. Same analogy. Because they didn't understand how God was using multiple people to achieve growing his kingdom. And Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So another he... Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. That's a promise for us. God gives the growth as we surrender. Jesus gives us the power to grow. One of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture, verses in all of scripture, Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's the expectation? Go witness, but don't do it until you have the power. And that was the day of Pentecost that Jesus was pointing to. And that power is the same word, the root word that we get the word dynamite from. The same power that said, let there be light. And there was light. That's a good promise, isn't it? That's how God wants to help us grow. And I love this promise. Jesus will not stop growing us as we cooperate with him. Philippians 2, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Stop right there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like you better just giddy up, get it done, come on, do it. It sh- we should feel that tinge. We should feel, wait, uh, there's a responsibility I have. There's an expectation. But I love that that's not, there's not a period. <laughs> there's a comma. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So who's doing the work? Yes, we both are. We trust. It's not this measure of I do something and God blesses it. It's, I see God, I trust him, 
And he's doing it. He's given me faith to believe him. And I'm, I, I find this experience with him where I just see him greater and greater and greater. So work out your own salvation because it's God who's working that work so you can work out your own salvation. Because he is providing and he is bringing about his, I love this, his good pleasure. We never, please, never lose sight of God's pleasure over you. When you think about God, what type of face does he have? Is it a grimace? Is it looking off in the distance where you have to get his, his attention? Or is it a God who's smiling? You should see his smile. Because he's proud of you. He loves you. You're like, but, 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 but. He says, no. I love you. And we... Maturity is learning to see his smile over us. And I think even in the midst of our questions, God doesn't mind questions. The Psalms are filled with questions. The Psalms are filled with, God, what's up? I seem to be going through the motions and I'm praying and you're silent. And... But ultimately, all, most, so many of the Psalms end up, where do they end up? But God, you're a good God. And your steadfast love is with me and your faithfulness is upon me. So I can trust you. They've seen, I think, his smile even though they had a whole bunch of good questions for him. It's God who's working in you and he loves the work that he's doing in you. So if we know that he loves the work he's doing, then we can, what well, motivates us to participate with his work and to do his work. So where are you? in your stage of growth? And is there a plan, perhaps, that you would want to say, how, how do I grow from, how do I grow within, I'm stable, you know, I've got, so, so what do I need to do in order to, to look to hone in my spiritual gifting so I can, I can be an example for others? For you an example, people maybe have told you that, you know, I'm just trying to live the Christian life. Yep. But maybe the Lord is saying there, there's, there's a few people that need some attention from you, just to, you to walk with them. And so your example to them becomes pouring ministry into them so they can replicate and enjoy, God can enjoy the fruit that comes from your life. Because we're, the conclusion for us, remember Jesus in the parable of the feeding the multitudes, you take it and give it. He wants us to take what he has given us Give it away. Give it away that those he's called us to be with. Uh, I remember in college hearing an admonition at a, uh, it's one of the Campus Crusade um, Christmas conference. I think we were, I attended up in Dallas. And the speaker just said, have three types of people in your life. And I just always remember it because it's very helpful. Have a Paul that you can learn from. Have a Barnabas type that you can learn with. But make sure you have a Timothy that you can pour into. Make sure you have somebody that you can pour into. But make sure you're growing with somebody. Make sure and choose your Paul correctly. Choose the one that you're learning from. Choose that one wisely. Because we want to be motivated in the, the grace and beauty of God. So Jesus says, take what I've given. Give it away. Give it away. Let's be reminded. How he says this when he 
right before he ascended into the heavens. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now look, he's telling us to make disciples. He's giving us power to do it. Go make disciples because I've got disciples. And you're going to cooperate with me and enjoy the blessing of that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Pass it on. Pass it on. But you don't do this alone because I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless us.